Hello again and welcome to a week when it's one of those podcast-only editions of the Culture File Weekly. That means the Culture File debate is going out on Saturday evening at 6.30pm. But just so you don't miss out on all the week's treats, this is the podcast-only edition. We'll start off in a moment with Jennifer Walsh in Venice. I'll be at the Dublin Theatre Festival and Paddy Woodworth will be taking down the latest volume from the Naturalist bookshelves. So... Jennifer Walsh returns to Culture File and to the post-pandemic life of a travelling musician in her latest Things Know Things. With the summer over, I find myself touring again. Gigs I had assumed would be cancelled are actually taking place. Life as a musician seems like maybe, just maybe, it can finally resume in a new, normal-ish way and everything starts to feel, well, a little softer round the edges, a little richer again. After 18 months at home, I'm on the road once more, flooded with new information, new experiences, and it's wonderful, but it's also intense being back in concert halls and black box theatres and churches, spending time with friends I haven't seen in years, stealing a walk through a park before a rehearsal and feeling something inside me which has been clenched tight for a year and a half relax a little. And as much as I'm energised by live music and people and food, I'm also feeling the overwhelming presence of all the new and unfamiliar things that surround me, because the pandemic is constantly bringing my attention to them. The lift buttons that announce they self-clean using nanotechnology. The plastic gloves we're asked to wear to handle the breakfast buffet serving spoons. The microphone, which needs to be sprayed with sanitizer before I can sing into it. Everything friends, architecture, the banisters on the hotel stairs seems more vivid, more present. Last week, I played a solo concert at the Biennale in Venice. The Biennale sent a water taxi to pick me up from the airport and I was incredibly excited about the water taxi in a way that was, admittedly, very uncool. But, my God, a water taxi! And it did not disappoint. As we pulled out into the lagoon, the pilot accelerated rapidly, water flew up around the boat, and I found myself clinging to the roof, screaming with joy. It was sunny. I was in a boat, on the sea, speeding towards Venice, where I would eat squid ink pasta and gelato. This is it, I thought. This is the most glamorous moment of my life. It's all downhill from here. And I look down at my hands. Probably everyone who has been in this boat stands exactly here, I thought, and clings onto exactly this part of the roof while screaming and laughing, hashtag aerosols, in exactly this way. Better make sure to sanitise those hands later. But then I turned my face back to the Adriatic and the seagulls flying alongside us and let the spray wash over me.
Jennifer Walsh there, the newly appointed Professor of Composition at the University of Oxford. As ever, you can find her previous pieces for Culture File on the Lyrics site or on the Things Know Things playlist on SoundCloud. The Dublin Theatre Festival is back, and really back this time, with a whole nicely printed catalogue of shows. Loads you can book a seat for, and then go and sit in that seat. Quite close to other people who've followed the very same procedure, whose health documentation has been bleeped and cross-checked with the great list of the saved and sent on in. People who also, despite all that, once seated, have a wistful and, yes, I think that's a wary look in all those eyes that flicker above their masks, assessing interseat distances. I wonder will all this, everything that seems so striking now about a visit to the theatre, soon seem so distant behind us that it wobbles unsteadily when we try to picture it. Or that other thing, Will it become so familiar and commonplace that talking about it will seem as odd as mentioning how useful a telephone is? Will all the pre-theatre security theatre become unremarkable as quickly as those times at the airport when we're invited into the little perspex booth to stand on the yellow footprints and raise our arms for a full body scan? The show starts. This is happening. We're back at the theatre, and this show has literally everything I didn't miss. That great banquet of disappointments that has you looking at your watch, incredulous that it's only ten past eight. And there are some extra features, too. New transgressions, and a frailness that I suppose now must be put down to self-care on behalf of the theatre makers. Yes, do take it easy. It's been a difficult time. Don't beat yourselves up about it. It's been hard enough getting through the week without producing stuff, too. We accept that this was as good as you could manage, and we all are being totally understanding about that. I'm going to be so understanding, I'm not even going to name names. Some theatre happened, isn't that enough for you? Have some sense of proportion. Do you not know what we've all been through? In the reconfigured theatre, the chairs are spaced out so that no mask in the audience is sitting too closely to any other mask in the audience. This makes the event look sparsely attended, but Covid is a great leveller in the theatre, weakening the distinction between good shows and bad, magicking away all the telltale gaps that distinguish between sold-out houses and sparse ones. And that's hardly the only accidental boost that theatre gets in the new dispensation. Those masks, for example, they've been debated and politicised, worn moronically and accidentally left at home. But only now, back in the theatre, can we see the full range of their uses. Under a mask, nobody can see you yawn. Stifled yawners of the world unite, at last an end to that unfortunate catching of a performer's eye in the middle of an otherwise very pleasant involuntary deep inhalation. And that again is a mark of a kinder theatre. OK, that figure there slumped in their seat, head profoundly, motionlessly resting on their chest. That still reads the same. That's someone sleeping. No mask is hiding that. But generally, we're all caring like mad out here. The kindest of all benefits of a Covid-friendly theatre festival is perhaps the one the performers would have voted for if audience behaviour were democratically decided. Tickly throats are miraculously over. Miraculous but practical, at a time when a stranger clearing their throat on a railway carriage can have the effect that only lighting a Catherine wheel could previously have replicated, coughing in performance just can't happen. 
everyone, who knew, is capable of holding it in, given that the slightest ahem might spook the crowd and have us stampeding off behind the cordon sanitaire of the live-stream. Live-streams still exist in this year's festival and still have their draw. That year spent discovering how to get the sound synced between two different locations, all that emotional tech support. It would be a shame to leave all that behind, those shared online theatre moments and their intense, desperate, yearning atmospheres. A shame, but of course also a relief, to remember those old feelings only in the odd, misty bout of nostalgie de la pandémie. Dublin Theatre Festival continues around the city and online until October 17th. And finally, on this podcast-only edition of the Culture File Weekly, a little prep for this month's Culture File debate, which is coming up on Saturday evening, when we'll be asking our panel, what can art do for ecology? The discussion was inspired by the subject of Paddy Woodworth's latest addition to the Naturalist bookshelf, William Jordan's The Sunflower Forest, a book that explored the idea of restoration ecology and in the process proposed a new but possibly very old role for culture in the capitalist scene. When I think of Bill Jordan, a philosopher of ecological restoration who challenges me to think anew every time we speak, two images spring to my mind. One is American Gothic, Grant Wood's classic 1930 portrait of a Midwestern couple. Jordan bears more than a passing physical resemblance to Wood's Ernest Farmer, pictured with pitchfork and immaculate white shirt. Much more importantly, he shares some of the values implied in this image. Hard work, seriousness, an unblinking gaze at the tough realities of life. But there is always a glint in Jordan's eyes that complements those qualities. And so the other image that Jordan evokes for me is one of play, as in an improvisation by, say, Miles Davis. His spoken discourse sings, soars, swoops, and yes, sometimes crashes, very like a passionate jazz solo. Jordan trained as a philosopher, but in 1981 he became founding editor of a new journal, Ecological Restoration. Under his critical guidance, the journal pioneered much of the early thinking and practice of this radical conservation strategy, which was already burgeoning across the Midwest. It has since spread right around the world, so much so that the UN has declared the 2020s a decade of restoration. Let's hope it's not too late. Ecological restoration is very ambitious. It aims at the reassembly of the plants, animals and natural processes that had evolved together in particular landscapes before they were degraded or destroyed by human impacts. Traditional nature conservation repeatedly evokes the idea of preservation, as if the natural world could be sealed off like a jar behind the fences of a national park. Restoration is a very different enterprise. It demands that we get our hands dirty in undoing the damage we have done to the environment. Crucially, this may involve counterintuitive actions. Killing beautiful invasive plants like rhododendron in Ireland and killing cute furry animals like possums in New Zealand. 
to allow the native fauna and flora, which these human introductions threaten, to flourish once again. This reflects a puzzle, Jordan writes, that has challenged all peoples at all times. It is the question of learning to live graciously on this planet. Solving it, he continues, is one of the perennial tasks of culture. Ecological restoration is not only science-based, Jordan argues. It is an art as well, a form of play and a context for negotiating the relationship between our species and the rest of nature. And one way to negotiate that always tricky relationship, he suggests in his 1983 book, The Sunflower Forest, is to enlist the help of artists. Ritual performances may help us cope with the harsh realities like killing and death, from which contemporary culture tends to avert its gaze, especially when talking about nature. Earlier cultures, Jordan argues, were often painfully aware that there is what he calls an existential shame inherent in the fact that all creatures must kill some other creatures in order to live. And these early cultures created rituals to assuage this feeling, like asking forgiveness of or giving thanks to the animal they had just killed and were about to eat. In Jordan's usage, shame has nothing to do with guilt, which comes from voluntary actions we believe to be wrong. Shame for Jordan is the uncomfortable awareness of the troubling but unavoidable actions that are the very conditions of our existence. He noticed that restorationists sometimes tried to conceal these conditions from the public. For example, piling up brushwood to conceal the incisions they were making to gradually kill invasive trees. These embarrassed and embarrassing subterfuges only compound the problem, he argues. He was proved right by a major public backlash against restoration in Chicago in the 1990s. Much better, he suggests, for artists to find ways of helping local communities engage with and ultimately embrace such necessary work in a respectful way. It's interesting to note that some Irish artists, Gareth Kennedy is just one example, have made challenging works around invasive species here. This may become a much broader trend as the biodiversity and climate crises demand ever more radical and often more painful responses. Paddy Woodworth there on Bill Jordan's The Sunflower Forest. And Paddy, along with Bill Jordan, composer Karen Power and restoration ecologist Catherine Farrell, will be talking some more about the place where art and ecology meet in the Culture File debate this Saturday, 6.30pm. Meanwhile, the normal Culture File Weekly will be back in its normal spot next Saturday evening. Till then, bye now.